is the Indie Cornrows Podcast. Today is March 24th, 2020. Tom, how are you doing today, man? Pretty good. This is Tom Lewis from Indie Cornrows. I am still here. Um, I'm really happy to have Mark Schindler uh, joining the pod and buffering it up because he knows what he's doing around a podcast. Um, you've probably heard him on his Full Court Press podcast. Also writes a lot about the NBA. And fortunately for me, he reached out because he was doing a lot of general NBA uh, talk and pods and uh, wanted to focus more a little more on the Pacers. So he's going to be dipping in here and helping us out with podcasts and also providing some content to IndyCornrows.com. So first of all, welcome and thank you, Mark. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm super, super happy to be here. And I'm kind of on the younger end. I'm 22. I'm still uh, in college getting my journalism degree. Uh, but I'm definitely highly qualified to talk about it because I am eat, sleep, breathe basketball. You can ask my girlfriend, my dog, just about anybody. The first playoff series I ever watched was um, actually like the first real extended basketball I watched was uh, the 2012-2013 Pacers team. And it's a not a, you know, not a name that a lot of Pacers fans are happy with sometimes, but Paul George was the guy who really got me into basketball. Um, and, you know, just from then, I just fell in love with the game. I've gone back and watched all the old stuff. I, I know a ton about the league in general, but the, the Pacers are my heart and soul for sure. That's awesome. And it also makes me feel really old. Because, you know, when I was uh, getting into the Pacers, I actually grew up on the West Coast. Okay. Um, big Seattle Sonic, Super Sonics fan. Uh, but I was like the Pacers for some reason. I think the main reason I like the Pacers was because I was also a big uh, Indy 500 racing fan. Mm-hmm. Also loved the college basketball and that. And so Indiana always appealed to me. And so when the Pacers were uh, in the NBA, I, I kind of always started following them. And then again, old head, uh, my freshman year in college saw Reggie Miller and Pooh Richardson play my beloved Huskies. They were at UCLA. And um, actually, when they kind of teamed up in the early 90s, for really, they only had really one year where they really played full together. But I, I always, for some reason, always loved Pooh Richardson. Um, mm-hmm. And kind of an odd guy to throw in there, but I really got deep into the, the Pacers and following them as my Eastern Conference team then. So, uh, anyways. That was many years before you even thought about the Pacers. But that was many years before I was even <laughs> born, Tom. Uh, so <laughs> sorry I had to do that to you. But uh, yeah, no. so moving on, uh, the, the coronavirus. Obviously, you know, if you're listening to this, we're not going to hit too too much on that. We'll talk about the how it's impacting the season. Um, sure. You know, uh, you're here to get an escape from that. We don't need to get into that too much. Uh, I, but obviously, you know, having the season suspended. Uh, for the foreseeable future, and you know, many are in belief that potentially the the season might not happen. I definitely hold the idea that the playoffs will at least happen. There's way too much lost revenue for the NBA to not make that happen. It's very interesting to look at because there are so many different angles of how this could impact the league moving forward, and uh, especially getting down to to the nitty gritty how it can impact the Pacers. Uh, but you know, first and foremost, how how have you been handling it, man? Oh, it's been just completely weird. I mean. Like literally uh, two weeks uh, ago, two weeks from today, um, and really they've they've only missed five games since then. So um, it it's just been odd to, to think that the season it, it has felt like there's no way they're going to play again. But you know now I, I just saw Mark Cuban mentioned he thought June one was kind of an over under that he'd be willing to bet under on at this point of trying to get some games back. So 
I guess there's some hope that they will eventually play. What that looks like, um, you know, are they going to play a few games, go right into the playoffs? I can't imagine they're going to finish all 82 out. Uh, I think the Pacers have, what, 15 more games to go. So, um, anyways, it's been strange. I mean, for the Pacers in general, I mean, there's kind of, you know, obviously some silver linings with all the injuries they were dealing with. Also, you know, Victor was kind of coming into his own, even though he's mm-hmm. nowhere near uh, the Vic that we were used to. But at least he was kind of figuring out how to play um, and, and you know, get a shot going. And now I'm sure this rest time will only help in his, you know, move towards full recovery. Um, but, you know, the, the season's always kind of been screwed up just because of that Vic injury and, and the other injuries you had. It's like never... Even though when, when everybody was there, it felt like they could play with anybody. Kind of hard to think that this was going to end with anything more than, you know, hopefully a one playoff series win. So, um, in, in the big, big picture for the Pacers, you know, this is probably going to help them out in the long run. And, and whatever they get out of it in the playoffs will be good. But I think just for the general health of the team and, and going forward, I know. Uh, Jay Michael from the Indy Star had a good article about um, because of the, the all the disruption and the and the potential loss of a lot of money, it's going to impact the salary cap. And again, you know, these are nuts and bolts things. You already mentioned it. You know, we're thinking about something other than the coronavirus right now. Obviously, there are more important things in the world than the NBA salary cap. But um, the Pacers are actually set up as well as anybody in the league, to handle a big drop in the mm, salary cap. So with the guys they have already locked up, not nobody being, you know, up near the $40 million mark or $35 million mark, you know, yeah. it, it, it's going to be good going forward. So I feel like anything they get out of this, whenever they get back to play, will, will be a bonus for this team. And, you know, as usual, we'll be looking ahead to next year. Yeah, definitely. So it's uh, kind of speaking on the, the salary cap a little bit. Um, I was talking with uh, Tony East from the Fieldhouse. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about Justin Holiday and how he's probably going to get paid pretty well this summer. And so this actually, I think it, it sounds terrible, but I think it bodes well a little bit for the Pacers because he's been just instrumental to the bench and uh, just the team in general this year. And I think uh, having the ability to bring him back on maybe a smaller deal because he's the only uh, impending free agent this summer, I do believe. Um, so it, bringing him back is almost definitely going to be a priority and it'll make it a little bit easier to do that. It's interesting to look at. I think I, I totally agree. I think it'll be good um, for the health, especially Malcolm Brogdon, because he was just kind of injury after injury after injury since about December. Um, and obviously it's been good for Vic, but I mean, Vic, his last five games was really starting to figure his game out a little bit. He's putting yeah. up, you know, he's still not quite there, you know, he's not seeking contact the same way. And um, that's something that's mental and will come with time, I, I feel like. But I mean, he was shooting 47% from the field, 40% from three. Uh, he was putting up like 19, five and four. He was looking more like himself, you know, and uh, he was took, taking a little bit more of a backseat and trying to not get up as many shots because it's a, much to some of the um, Pacers fans dismay. And, you know, I, I think it was it was tough because when you look at it, you know, I mean, Victor was the number one guy all last year and the year before, before injuries. And uh, so when you're the guy taking the number one amount of shots and you come back and uh, you're not just going to factor into shooting five or seven a game, it's really hard to get out of that mindset. So I think uh, 
as much as it stunk uh, taking that that losing streak, that was about the worst two weeks of my lifetime. I don't know about you, um, <laughs> but uh, I think it was important that we take it in stride. And it, it's it's difficult because this is a uh, with how well the organization is run. Uh, it's it's something that's been run into quite often. I think is that this team out outperforms expectations pretty much every year. I mean, I not to mm-hmm. speak down on the team, but going into the year, I mean, we had so many new faces. And for a team that usually has really good continuity, I really was expecting there to be some some major growing pains this year. And outside of the first 10 games, I mean, this team was functioning really well on all levels until Malcolm started dealing with some injuries and uh, Victor came back. And, you know, throwing in a guy like Victor back into a completely new starting lineup, of course, there's going to be some difficulties. All in all, that was my really long-winded answer for saying I think this is going to be uh, – as good as it can be for the Pacers. I don't I don't think that this hurts us too much in the long run. I don't think it damages us in the short term. It actually might be beneficial. Yeah, definitely. And and you're right. I mean, there were so many issues with new players getting figuring out how to play together. You know, obviously we had the Sabonis Turner playing more minutes together than then you had Vic coming in. You got the injuries. It seems like, you know, there there would be little setbacks here and there, but they were always easy to identify the issues you know often you know big issues <laughs> um and they're able to overcome and, and figure out ways to uh attack or, or fill the gap where need need be mm-hmm. um and you know going back to you know talking about the roster going forward you know a lot of these role guys they had coming off the bench who had to fill in either in the starting lineup or in a different role in the rotation, seem to always be ready to jump in and, and, you know, whether it was Jakar Sampson or, you know, TJ McConnell, Aaron Holiday starting or not even playing, whatever they were doing, they seem to be able to adjust and get get together and, and be able to at least play winning basketball where they gave themselves a, a chance to win. Um, but you're right, you know, you mentioned Justin Holiday and he was the one guy, when you're looking at that, Salary cap, depending upon where it goes, who you would expect to make much more money next year. But God, he's been so solid. I would hate no, to I lose know. Him. He's having the best season <laughs> of his career. And he's like, I think he's 30 this year. Um, he's, he's been just instrumental. He's been all over the place in the league. And, uh, he, he's really just put everything together and found his home here, which has been the case for so many guys who come here. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, um, well, he went to my alma mater, University of Washington. Mm-hmm. He was actually, you know, when he was, I think I've mentioned this before, but when he was, um, when he signed at UW, it was like, well, okay, they're really, they're really signing him so they can get Drew Holiday, who was younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then he ended up going to UCLA. Uh, but, but Justin developed, you know, he, he was a four year player, but by the end of his career, he was hitting threes when he first came to UW. He couldn't, you know, he couldn't shoot. He was just a madman on defense. And then, you know, you can see his game development. He just worked so hard, and I don't think he's ever stopped working on it. And it feels like this year there have been so many times in games when things might be going sideways, and all of a sudden he hits a three. It just seems like he's always ready to take that shot to stop the bleeding, and it's been been really fun to watch. Yeah, I definitely agree. So you spoke on it for a minute earlier. How do you feel about the Turner-Sabonis pairing so far this year? I have a lot of thoughts on it, but I want to gauge yours on it. Yeah, I... I have, I have a lot of thoughts too. I know um, Kaylin Cooper's. Uh, I've digested everything that she's gone through, and and I feel like it has gotten better and better and better as years gone on. I'm still not convinced it's 
it may it, it's a long term best case for this team, but honestly, I I can't think of an, a way that they would unless they got some perfect stretch for forward who was young like Turner and who was could play at a high level. Um, and I'm thinking they would be trading Turner instead of Sabonis. That's just my my thought mm-hmm. on it, if they were were to do that. You know, I could see that working, but I love the way that that they're genuinely trying to make it work right now. And, and Turner actually seems to be developing confidence in that role now where he's getting a little more, um, giving a little more offensive production to go along with that rim protection. Yeah. So part of me wants to say, wait a minute, let's get this a little bit longer and see, you know, maybe maybe their ceiling's a little higher than we thought maybe maybe if they keep going we might get there now obviously that's a risk but you know the way they played of late was really promising yeah no i agree i think uh miles has shown a lot more assertiveness on the offensive end yeah uh it, it's tough too because i think a lot of people uh forget i mean he was the second second third option in uh in his sophomore year you know which is kind of crazy to think about right. i mean he was putting up 15 <laughs> and 8 in his his, his second year uh, and compared to what he's doing now, obviously it's, it's not the same, but you look at it. I mean, he's gone from being the, the second option to being, you know, fifth or sixth in the pecking order. So it makes sense that his numbers would drop. And he's, he's so instrumental on the defensive end. It, it would be hard to give up either him or Domas because of, of what they both do. Um, I, th- I, I agree. I think it's shown that the ceiling is much different than I thought before. Um, mm-hmm. I think we really need to go through a full playoff series before we can make any kind of decision. On, on on any kind of roster shakeup, you know. It's also important to look at the game against Boston was kind of showing uh, some of the difficulties of having them paired together because yep. uh, the way that Boston plays, having Gordon Hayward at the four, Jason Tatum at the four most of the time, that is an incredibly tough matchup uh, for our front court. Uh, you know, I think there's a notion that uh, Sabonis can just wreck the inside of the Celtics. And to, to his credit, he can. He's a phenomenal low post player. Daniel Tice is also a better defender than people give him credit for, but that that's, it's incredibly tough on the defensive end. And we saw that, I mean, Gordon Hayward had an incredible game and it, it's not like hard guys weren't trying on defense, but that's such a hard matchup for uh, if, if Sabonis gets drawn in or miles gets drawn in uh, and anybody's out in the corner recovering and, and getting out to the corners is almost impossible when, when you have the foot speed and the size that they do. Um, so, I mean, there are obviously ways to scheme around it and everything, but just, just something to keep an eye on in the future for sure. Yeah, and, you know, and that, that may be where the ceiling is against um, – really, you look at Toronto, the teams that they need to get through and have struggled with, you know, in the East, Toronto and Boston in particular, Milwaukee, obviously, and, and really it just comes down to matchups. <laughs> yeah. And when they bump into that matchup where um, they're dealing with that at the front court, that um, forces both Sabonis and and Turner to be potentially out on the perimeter, then um, it, it does become a problem. And, and so if they can't flip that and get the advantage at the other end, um, then that's, that's where we're bumping into the ceiling, I think. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. It'll, it'll be really interesting to see how things shake up. I mean, I love this team. And once again, they're, they're showing that they're, they're a lot more capable than they get credit for at the beginning of the season. Um, so. Absolutely. And, and one thing I also want to add there, just because, you know, you mentioned you love the team, and I, and I agree. I mean, one reason I kind of want to, you know, see Turner Sabonis go a little longer, just because I 
honestly really appreciate um, the effort Turner's put in knowing that he has to take a different role and how he has, I've seen him evolve over the year and adjust in his attitude and his, um, the way he's playing. And, you know, you, you got to appreciate the effort, you know, and hey, maybe in the end it, it doesn't work, but at least he's not, um, he hasn't gotten the tank. He hasn't, you know, really complained outwardly. He hasn't made a public issue of anything. Um, everybody knows you know, he'd rather have a bigger role offensively, but, but, um, you know, the, the fact that the way he's gone about his business, at least you got to appreciate that. And, and that's what I think at least keeps me rooting for it to work. No, yeah, I fully agree. I, uh, anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that I am a, a staunch Miles Turner defender. Um, I think that he, he gets, he, he seems to take a lot of the blame anytime that there's a, a tough mm-hmm. game, you know, and, uh, I, it's, it's unfair. You can't put everything all on one player's shoulders. See, obviously, things haven't worked out quite exactly um, how, how you wanted it to on the stat sheet. But I think when you look at him and you watch how he plays, he impacts the game so much more outside that. And and like we've talked about, yeah, he's, he's just he's only gotten better this year. And uh, while the box score doesn't always show it, I think he's just so instrumental to the team. Moving off of Miles, uh, obviously, Jeremy Lamb uh, went out for the season with a pretty horrific knee injury uh, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of diving into a piece a little bit right now on, on, uh, on the growth that we kind of need to see from the bench because it's it's very likely that uh, Jeremy will unfortunately miss most of next year. The majority of knee injuries that have happened like this have been an incredibly long process. It'll be probably similar to Vic. Uh, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the bench without Jeremy because I, I think – uh, our bench has been incredible this year, obviously, like a, a much better bench than I was expecting, uh, given like some of the parts were very new and, and young. But we go from having a spot starter and sixth man in, in, in Jeremy Lamb to kind of having that an unknown factor. We have a lot of really quality guys off the bench, but there's not anybody who's necessarily uh, popping off as the first guy off the bench. Yeah, and it, it was such a shame because, you know, the idea of Jeremy Lamb was, you know, did a great job filling in that starter role, and then when Vic came back, you know, we hardly got to see the the uh, the option with, with Lamb coming off the bench as that sixth man. Yep. And, as you said, I think, more importantly, spot starter, because, um, especially this year with with uh, the status injury issues with Vic and, and Brogdon, being able to slide Lamb in there was not a big issue, but, but now we, we've seen... Most of got with with Aaron Holiday, um, yep. and that's creates a completely different uh, rotation and matchup issues. We talk about you know the big matchups with <laughs> turns of bonus, but then you're kind of going small matchup there if if it's Brogdon and Holiday or Vic and Holiday, mm-hmm. um, just because you know Aaron, Aaron really kind of thrives more as a shooting guard, really, um, but um, it. Yeah. it his, his game definitely is going to have to develop some if that's you know going to be their their guy going forward in that role. Well, yeah, it's really interesting looking at the bench because uh, not even in terms of the bench, but like looking at uh, the growth of Gogo Bataze, um, it'll be really interesting to see where he he gets to next year because this year I, I don't want to say he's been unplayable, but he's he's really struggled in the limited minutes he's gotten, um, and we really don't have a. Um, 
a, a, a big man who we can bring off the bench. And the biggest guy who comes off the bench right now is Doug McDermott. And he, he plays at the four a lot, but he really doesn't have the size or strength to play at the four too much. Uh, and we, we, I think something that has gone a little bit under notice this year uh, has been the loss of Thad Young. I mean, he was one of my favorite all-time Pacers, just an incredible, incredible dude. You know, he's he's not like super flashy or anything, but he was a, a really uh, a tone setter on both ends of the court. And um, not having the positional versatility of being able to bring in somebody who can kind of slide in at the four like that is it'll be interesting to see what we're able to get out of Goga um, moving forward for sure. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on him, but I'd love to hear him. Yeah. Goga has been a little bit disappointing this year. I think obviously he's very young. Um, and it just seemed like, you know, he had a pretty good skill set that he, you know, might be able to play a few minutes here and there and produce, but he really hasn't been, you know, a lot of times there's been a little bit of a deer in the headlights, a little bit of, he's not quite ready, not sure where to be. And just, um, you know, unless the game has been in a blowout situation, um, he hasn't looked real comfortable on the floor. So definitely you got to see some massive development uh, from him because I felt like, you know, especially in the preseason, he had a, you know, three-point shot that looked just nice and clean, but he has, uh, in game time, hasn't been able to convert at all this year. And if he's going to be that guy off the bench, they they could use someone like that to stretch the floor um, and still be able to play big. Um, and that, you know, that's a, the issue we have with, with Jakar Sampson right now. He's, he's been great coming in with the energy and, and kind of a lot of those fat young things you talked about, but then, you know, he's even you know worse than that as far as being a guy that could stretch the floor and, and be a guy that the defense has to account for all the time. So, um, that definitely is going to be something they will need to try and address, I would think in the off season, but. Again, they're kind of tied up. Yeah, with, it's really with difficult to make any kind so, of moves. Um, you know, you, you, you're going to have to rely on Goga developing um, on some levels. So, and again, that Jakar Sampson's spot, I mean, I'm fine having him in there at that role because, like you said, they've, been, they've kind of been going smaller with that with that unit. And when they've been playing with Sabonis, uh, that bench group has been pretty strong. So... Um, again, though, it always goes back to those matchups. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I'm hoping that it comes from Jakar. If Jakar is able to develop his shot a little bit, like if he just, if he could shoot like 38% on corner threes, that'd be perfect. You know, if he can just stretch the floor like that. But right now, I mean, he, he if it's not a dunk, it's, it's not, it's not going up from Jakar. And I love that he doesn't take shots that, uh, he's not comfortable with because I think that's a really great part of the Pacers offense. We don't force guys to take shots they're not good at. Um, but yeah. at the same time, we need that because his ability to switch a little bit and just be a, a little bit bigger and stronger than some of the dudes coming off the bench is huge. Another thing that I think could be really intriguing in terms of next year, uh, I'm not trying to, once again, not trying to get too far ahead of myself, but uh, I, I get, I've been cooped up with my dog for about eight days. So, I'm, you know, all I can do is think about <laughs> Pacers basketball. That's man. right. And, uh, you know, time. something that I'm really excited about that I think could happen. This is not to be a little hot takey, but if Demonis is able to come in next year and shoot a like 35% plus on, on two threes a game, I, I'm not trying to suggest that he needs to turn into Doug McDermott. It's not possible. You know, it's not what he's good at, 
But I think we see it a lot in games. You, you know, you can tell me if you agree or not, but I think it's pretty clear. Uh, we run a ton of DHOs uh, up at the top of the key. And that's been one of the bread and butter plays. I mean, the, the Domas, Brogdon, uh, dribble handoff, pick and roll at the top of the key or in the high post is where a lot of our offensive production comes from. But when that play stagnates, uh, you can just tell Domas doesn't really have any real gravity up up there. I mean, his defender will often sag off down to the free throw line or uh, help onto a, a shooter. So if he was able to develop just a credible like kind of pick and pop three or uh, could just hit standstill threes, like it, like I, once again, I'm not trying to advocate that he needs to be Kyle Korver, um, but if if he adds that to his arsenal, um, that's what something that could really take the offense into another level. Because that's been the only part that's been a, a slight issue with the Turner Sabonis pairing. Uh, surprisingly, their their offense has, has struggled a little bit, but their defense is what's been tremendous. They 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 are currently 104.1 points per 100 possessions on defense, which is in the top 10 percent of the league, which is phenomenal. But their defense is almost the opposite. They're 106.6 points per 100 possession, which is uh you know in the bottom 25 percent of the league in terms of lineups. So uh, just just something that I've been thinking about a lot. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, that, that would be fantastic because, I mean, Sabonis definitely has the opportunity to shoot threes. I mean, he, you know, he turns down a lot of chances um, and sometimes he'll dribble and shoot two or just pass. But, I mean, he, he right now he's shooting, you know, about one a game. Um, but if he could, like, you know, get a little uh, Brooke Lopez <laughs> infusion <laughs> yeah. of all of a sudden he's got the stroke from deep. Um, and, and like you say, shoot two or three, even to be at, at a rate, you know, right now I shoot about 25%. If he got up to that 35% where it was a threat, um, even if he didn't end up shooting that many, if he was a threat to make it more, um, that would open a lot up offensively. Yeah. Um, yeah. I totally so. agree because I think like, uh, it, it doesn't even have to be 35%. You know, I mean, Joel Embiid is like a 33, 34% shooter, but he's good enough at them and he makes them at a high enough rate that you have to play out on him. And if, if Domas gets to that, it could, if just the idea of it happening is there, but I mean, it's very clear watching him. Um, there'll be times where he like, he thinks about it and that's the problem. You know, he's oh, yeah. thinking and, <laughs> and we lose so much time on the clock and I'm not trying to, to, to crap on him. I mean, he's phenomenal, but I just think about with how beautiful of a passer he is. If somebody has to come up from the key to get up on him uh, at the at the top of the three point arc, uh, that opens so much action in the middle, and he's such a great passer. You just think about all the cuts and back cuts and cross screens right. that could happen, and that would be just amazing. Yep, no doubt. So, for what I want to close with today, I just uh, you know we we've harped on the season for a little bit, but I kind of want to talk about uh, uh, your and my favorite Pacers players of all time. So it can be players on the team now. Uh, players that were on the team, um, and you know, I have I have a list in my head already, and I, I want to hear off the bat. Okay, for me, again, I think I mentioned two of my faves earlier, mm-hmm. but and honestly, I know that Pooh Richardson only played basically either two years of the Pacers, really one and a half. Um, but I have a connection with him just because my dad was from Philadelphia, he was from Philadelphia, and then he played out on the West Coast in college. I saw him a lot. I just love the guy, and so I, I he made, remains a, one of my favorite Pacers just because he really got me into the Pacers in that early '90s, 
which then they blossomed from there and have been so much fun to follow. And then, of course, Reggie Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's Reggie and Chuck Person for me in that group. So I'm kind of merging them together um, as guys because they were just um, lethal gunners. And I love the lethal gunner. And that's when, you know, the three-point shots started coming in vogue and and you know there weren't um a lot of you know originally you know people didn't take a ton of threes so yeah um having those guys who who not only would take it but were begging to take it <laughs> yeah i just love those guys made it so much fun to watch um but then um coming up later you know with with the team as a you know played later in, into the 2000s um, I I think in the early two teens, I just loved having David West on that team. Yes, um, I really think, and I know um, that's the team of your youth. <laughs> yep. Um, but he really he really spackled a lot of holes with that club as far as making them play hard, play well, and and be a a championship contending team even though, you know, they eventually broke apart and there were issues, but boy, they were fun to watch. And I just loved him being the the rock on those teams. And I know with the media, he was always been, he was always a guy in the locker room. Everyone went to the, to get some sincere feedback on what was going on um, with the team or after a game. And he would shoot straight as he could and always appreciated that guy. And, and the way he played, I mean, he had everybody's back um, and, and was just a great leader on those teams. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And so I actually have a lot of thoughts on your on yours. I can't really speak too much on Pooh Richardson. I don't know a whole ton about him. <laughs> I don't but think many people can. I mean, with, I have people Googling Pooh. I'll definitely check him out. But uh, with, with Chuck Person, I he's somebody who's really fascinating to me. I think he's a guy who would just slide into the modern NBA so well because oh, he, yeah. he played the, the three most of his career. Um, but he's a guy who would totally be a four now. Like think of TJ Warren, but stronger and like he could shoot incredibly for back then. I mean, he shot like, you know, 36, 37% from three on pretty high volume attempts back then, you know, four game. Uh, I think he him off quick. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. That's why they called him the rifleman, you know? And so, but I think a lot of Pacers fans don't really remember him as well, at least my generation, because, uh, you know, he wasn't part of any of the great Pacers teams until like his last year before he ended up in Minnesota. Um, and as far as David West, it's really cool with David West because he a was like probably the biggest free agent signing that the Pacers have ever, have ever had. Um, I, I think sure. the idea that he came came and chose Indiana was always something that I found really cool. And he uh, it's cool because he has a connection to the team still. You know, he's, uh, you know, like kind of a, right. a mentor for TJ Warren and he always speaks highly on his time in, in Indy. And uh, he actually, none of your guys made my list. Uh, surprisingly, I had a, <laughs> so my, my third favorite Pacers players is, is almost definitely unequivocally Dale Davis. I love Dale Davis. I have already sobbed myself to sleep watching the 2000 finals a couple times uh, <laughs> since uh, the coronavirus has hit. And one constant in that is just Dale Davis. Uh, he was not the most skilled player on the face of the planet, but it, you'd be damned if he wasn't uh, working harder than anybody else on the court. That dude was just all energy and um, a really fun player to watch and somebody who I'm sure would have been translated well to playing today, you know. Um, 
he would be like a perfect rim running five and he's a good good rim protector. It's also crazy to look back and think about how he played the four for most of his time in Indiana. He's 6'11", 230, playing the the four. Can you even imagine that today? That would be <laughs> so wild. Um, but then number two for me. Um, so actually, I will throw Paul George at number two. And mm-hmm. I, I love loved PG's game. Obviously, I hated how he left, uh, but I... Uh, maybe I'm it's easier for me because I'm not from Indiana. I'm from uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, so I wasn't <laughs> there in person, you know, feeling the effects of it in state when uh, the ripples were happening with him leaving. But I felt like there was a lot that kind of went into it. And it was not necessarily like the way he handled it wasn't great. But I think that the front office handled it in kind of a poor way as well. Um, now, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. We don't even have to talk about that. But I, I, I've always been you know very about that I'm, I'm a very player forward person i think that they uh kind of get unnecessary criticism sometimes or just the excessive criticism i think he did so many great things for the pacers when he was here and it, of course it sucks that he left it's like a bad breakup but we we can't you know the demonstratize the the time that he was here just because of one last season i think the the 11 to 14 pacers are the best run that they've had since 90, 98 to 2000, you know? So uh, I always loved Paul George, especially, I mean, my first introduction to to basketball really and to, to the Pacers was him dunking over Birdman. You know, that was, yeah. that was one of the coolest things I ever saw. I just remember that's when I fell in love with the Pacers. So it's hard for me to ever hate on PG, but my top player of all time is Danny Granger. I have like ah, six Danny nice. Granger jerseys. He's, he's my guy. I love him. He's, <laughs> He's uh kind of reminds me of myself a little bit, um, which I obviously was not scoring 26 points per game in the NBA, but uh, I, I just loved him as a player. He was really a humble dude and he had such a smooth game uh, and he, he just always was trying. He was there everywhere. He was never great at any one thing, but uh, he sold sold out to be good at everything. And uh, I think when he was traded away from the 2014 team, that was that hurt me a lot personally, and I'm sure that a lot of people can uh, relate to that. But, uh, yeah, Danny was just uh, – he was a pacer through and through, and I loved loved his game. I wish the things had definitely uh, turned out a little bit differently for him. Yeah, definitely. It was it was rough to see the, you know, the kind of injuries make him kind of fade into the into the background of that, those good teams. He wasn't as important eventually gets, gets traded. Um, but he was definitely – a guy who helped bridge the team from, you know, the brawl years to where Paul George came in as a rookie and then they started getting good again. He was a, a, a huge, played a huge role in that and always a, always a good guy as well. So um, definitely a good, a good listener. And also on Paul George, you know, you cannot deny the impact he had for the team on the court and going straight at, LeBron James at such a young age, and you know he was he was incredible. So um, his impact uh, remains here, um, and now obviously the whole pack is and and his exit and all that could be a whole other podcast on its own. Oh but, yeah, you know when when you know the bottom line is we enjoy watching these guys on the court, and when he was on the court in the blue and gold, it was it was pretty fun to watch. Definitely, definitely, I totally agree. Well, Tom. It's been awesome, man. This has been our first episode together of the Indie Cornrows podcast. And we can't wait to keep uh, putting out new ones of these. Uh, definitely send us your feedback. Send us any questions and comments you have. And check out our articles on IndieCornrows.com. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Mark. We'll talk to you later. Appreciate it, Tom. Have a good one, man.